0: doesn't it? Is that still true? Is it, is it still true that, that character matters today? More, more importantly, or more directly, I should say, is the character of a leader in the church important? Does that really matter all that much? We live in a time when the trust in church leadership is actually at an all-time low. 21 years ago, when I started uh, ministry 2001, it was my first year in full time ministry after graduating Bible college. A study was done by the Gallup poll. My, the study was not done in conjunction with me uh, graduating Bible college in any relationship at all. But Gallup had been doing this poll uh, every year since 1976, where they would survey Americans about their view of the ethical standards of various professions in our country. So from bankers and lawyers and teachers and nurses and doctors to pastors and politicians and, and many others, some 18 different professions were listed and asked to be ranked according to the view that Americans had of the ethical standards of those professions. In, 19, or in 2001, 67% of Americans believed that pastors had high or very high ethical standards. So two out of three Americans looked relatively favorably on uh, the role and the leadership of pastors in the churches of the United States. It's pretty high. Well, just fast forward the entirety of my ministry career to uh, just uh, the survey was uh, done again last year, and the results were posted in December, and where where are we at now? 21 years of ministry for me, 21 years of asking this question, and just this last year it was reported it's the lowest it's ever been, 34% of Americans believe that pastors have high or very high ethical standards. In my career, there's been a 30% drop In the credibility, the viewpoint of the credibility of pastors and leaders in the church. And it's no wonder. I'm not debating the statistics at all. It seems like every week we hear another scandal, another another fall from high standards in the church among pastors and leaders. Spiritual abuse, sexual immorality, financial impropriety, all across the board, it seems today that leaders in the church aren't as noble as they should be. And the reality of those scandals continuing day after day after day, week after week, month after month, pounding against the church has given the reason for many in the church to ask the question why bother? <laughs> why does it even matter? These guys aren't honoring, they're not noble in their lives, they don't live up to a high ethical standard, it's just a show, and they have abandoned the church in droves, and I think that's a fair point. It's a fair question when we look at where the church is at today and where leadership is at in the church today. So maybe the answer is for us just to discard leadership altogether and we'll just kind of do some sort of communal, everybody stands at the same position and place, and we'll just kind of figure it out that way together. Maybe that's the answer. And yet, I want us to go back to the scriptures again, and I want us to see what the Lord has to say about leadership in the church, because I think if we hold to these standards and to these ideals of leadership for the church, the church will be a beautiful place that reflects and glorifies God. The gospel will be displayed as the leaders are faithful to what scripture has called us to be in it. God has ordained and appointed leaders to care for and to oversee the church. And Paul, as he's been teaching Timothy and instructing Timothy about right order, about the the role of the church together, about the importance of the church and prayer and gospel centrality and the the focus of the church and who men and women in the church should be and how they should relate, he now comes to dealing in chapter 3 with the qualifications for leadership in the church. What kind of standard should we hold our pastors and elders and deacons and deaconesses and ministry leaders and staff to? What should their lives look like, and why is that important? The point is is that character matters, and therefore the church is cared for well by qualified faithful leaders. Where Where those leaders are not qualified, where they are not faithful, the church is not cared for well. The church is harmed. The gospel is harmed. So this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit unique for us. Most weeks you come here and I preach, and, and yes, I have preached the message to myself before I get up here, I hope most weeks, that, that God's Word has worked in me before it's delivered to you, but, but I imagine many of you at, at times, you come on a Sunday morning and I preach and you go, man... Does Jeremy read my email again? Did he hack my computer? Does he know the detours of my heart and the contours of my heart? Did he just speak into me? God is speaking to me through him again. Like, wow. Well, I'm going to turn the tables for you guys this morning, and I'm going to let you just relax. Just take a breath, chill out. I'm not preaching to you this morning. I mean, you're here, and I'm going to speak to you, but I'm not talking about most of us, most of you here in the room this morning. So you can just relax. I have to preach to myself today. This passage has to do with my lifestyle, my qualifications to be a pastor, our elders' qualifications to be elders and leaders. Uh, If you're a deacon or a deaconess or a a staff member or a ministry leader at our our church here, I am preaching to you as well this morning. There's some things that that God says about us, but but if you're not an elder or a deacon or a deaconess or or a leader here at the church, just relax, enjoy, just take it in, think about it for a moment, You know, hold us to the standard, but I'm going to preach to myself this morning. I'm going to ask God's word to do that. So maybe you can pray for me because this passage raises a high standard. If the church is qualified, is cared for by qualified and faithful leaders, we've got to ask who are those leaders and what is the standard? What is the standard? Now, one of the ways that the scripture talks about leadership in the church is through two distinct offices. So let me just set this up for us. The New Testament talks about two roles of leadership in the church, two offices that are there. One office is the office of elder, and the second office is the office of deacon or deaconess. Uh, Paul talks about the elders here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. By the way, if you have your Bible, open it up there. It's going to be helpful for you to follow along uh, with me in that passage there. Paul tells Timothy here in chapter 3, verse 1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So now Paul is just setting up. There's this position of leadership in the church, this office of overseer that leads and, and governs and oversees the church. Now, elsewhere in Scripture in the New Testament, the term is used elder or the term is used pastor to describe this overseer. So if you see in the Bible, uh, Scripture is talking about an elder, an overseer, or a pastor. Those are all synonymous terms. They're referring to the same distinct office, the same distinct role in the church. This role, as Scripture teaches... As we end, as we saw in chapter 2, is, is to be held specifically by biblically qualified men. The, the role of elder is for men exclusively to lead the church. And the qualifications, the character of a leader, a man who would be an elder or pastor in the church, is found there in verses 1 through 7. Now, we'll, we'll deal with those verses in just a moment. But the role of an elder is to provide leadership, care, spiritual direction, pastoral care, to preach the word, to pray. For and with the church. He is to lead the church in growing in Christ, to becoming more and more like Christ, to extending and advancing the gospel in the world and pointing to Christ. That's the role of a pastor or an elder. The second office that the New Testament speaks about is the office of deacon or deaconess. Now, those two role, that role, I consider it one role, deacon slash deaconess, it's available for men and women. Men and women can be deacons, deaconesses in, in their serving in the church, and it's, and it's to be held by anyone in the church who meets the character qualifications for that role as well. Now Paul talks about the qualifications for a deacon or a deaconess in verses 8 through 13, In verse 11, he says their wives, the English translation of that should better be the women. So he has men, deacons referred to, and women deaconesses uh, referred to as well. They all share the same office. And their role is to support the ministry of the church as leaders of servants so that the elders can give specific focus to the spiritual direction and needs spiritually of the church. If you, if you want to simplify it this way, elders are called to spiritually lead and deacons and deaconesses are called to practically lead so that elders can spiritually lead. That's maybe a way to break that down. If you were to go to Acts chapter 6, you would see a prototype of how this worked itself out in the church. There was a need that arose in the church. The, the Greek-speaking widows of the church at that time were being neglected and overlooked in the daily distribution of food, so they weren't getting fed. And the complaint arose. It came up to the apostles, and people were saying, take care of these women. We've got to do something. There's a division among the church, and, and this is not good. And the, the, uh, the apostles were wise enough at that moment to say, wait. Now, now we could dive in and we could do this. We have the competency to, to distribute those meals and to provide that care to all those women and to make sure there's equity in all of this. But should we do that? Is that our job? In fact, they said, maybe no, that's not our job. Acts 6 verses 2 says, the apostle said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, not because it's beneath us, but because we have a specific focus. Well, he says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So the prototype is laid out there. Elders devote themselves to prayer, to the ministry of the Word, to the spiritual care of the church. Deacons and deaconesses lead by caring for the practical needs of the church so that the church's needs can be met and so that the elders and pastors can focus on the ministry of the Word and prayer. Spiritually and practically, the church can advance together as we follow and live in these particular leadership roles. So deacons were appointed. Elders give oversight to the spiritual matters. Deacons give oversight in practical and physical matters. Now we have at our campus uh, some elders, and I just want to give just a moment to, to highlight them so you know who our elders are. I'm one of our elders at Woodside Bible Church, and then Casey Buford, there he is, he's back at the sound booth there. Casey is also one of our elders at the church too. We have responsibility from the Lord and from the scripture to give oversight to the, word, to the church through the word of God and prayer and spiritual care. And so if you need those things, Casey and I, we're your men. We're here to serve you and lead you and help you grow in that way. And the church also has deacons and deaconesses, and many of them that were here in the first service, there's a few of you that are here in this, in this second service. So our deacons are Chris Heinberger, uh, Greg Blanchett, Greg, you're right there, why don't you stand up, stand up, Greg, I need to see you. People got to connect with who you are. Uh, Dave Gruey uh, serves as a deacon. Chris Cooner uh, serves as a deacon. Jeremy Atkins, he's back in the sound booth as well. He also, yeah, stand up, come on. So shy. Uh, Jeremy Atkins is also a deacon, and then Adam Young is one of our deacons. And then our deaconesses are Sarah Cooner, uh, Janet Sangala. Janet, you have to stand up too. There it is, Janet Sangula, Leslie Gates, and uh, Jen Martinez. They serve in practical ways to care for the church and to see it led and cared for well. We want you to know these people. We want you to connect with them and be served and loved well by them. Now, those are the two roles that the New Testament speaks of. Oh, let me ask our staff as well to stand up. Heather McNabb and Becca Martin as well. These ladies serve as staff members here in kind of a deaconess role, although it's a staff role as well here. So Heather with our kids ministry and Becca as our administrative assistant here at the campus. And so these ladies serve and advance the gospel in the church as well. Thank you, ladies. So let's go back. Okay, so Paul has deacons and deaconesses and elders leading and giving oversight to the church. But my question is, what should their character be? What should the standard of their character be? Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 3. Paul says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, so he's talking specifically of elders first, he desires a noble task. What he's saying is it's a good thing for a man to long to be an elder, to aspire to that office, to pursue that Role in his life. It's a noble man. Now he's not speaking about vain ambition to say, like a young guy should desire to, to take to charge the hill and to be the leader and to conquer and dominate everything else. He's saying if a if God puts a call in your life and, and puts an impression upon your heart, an aspiration, an ambition to lead the church well, that's okay. That's good. You should pursue that. My hope is that there would be young men here in our church that would look upon the office of pastor or elder and all of its responsibility, and they would pray and say and think, that's something I want to do one day. That's a desire I have to lead the church and to carry responsibility from God to care for and love people in God's Word. This is a good thing, but it's not seen as a noble thing these days. If anything, being a pastor or an elder is something that many men avoid. We shouldn't. And then I I think it applies to the role of deacon or deaconess as well. It's an office that is noble and should be desired. Paul says in verse 13, those who serve well as deacons and deaconesses gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Something we should aspire to. And yet, it's not something that's chaste. Why is that the case? Why should it be something we aspire to? It's the character of the leaders of the church that either adorns and supports the gospel or it's the lack of character in the leadership of the church that denies and tarnishes the reputation of Christ. So let's ask a question here very quickly. What does it look like? What is the moral standard for those who are put in positions of leadership? Now, I want to just highlight one thing. These verses speak almost nothing about skill. They say not, almost nothing about competency or the ability, like a, a gifting. So many times we elevate people as pastors and leaders in the church and in Christian uh, spheres because of their high gifting. Oh, they're an eloquent communicator. They're an amazing podcast pastor. They're wonderful to watch. And yet, don't have podcast pastors. Let, Let the lives of the the men who serve here as elders at Woodside and the lives of the the deacons and deaconesses be the model and the shepherding source for you. Because it's not about skill. It's about character. In fact, there's only one skill qualification in this entire uh, passage that's a requirement to be a leader, to be a pastor. It's that he's able to teach. He can open up the Bible, he can explain what it says, and help you apply it to your life. That's it. He can teach good doctrine. Apart from that, the emphasis is on character. So now let me take this passage and look at four ways that the character of a leader, elder, deacon, deaconesses, must be high so that they're rightfully qualified to lead the church. And again, I'm preaching to myself here, so enjoy. Uh, Have fun with this. First of all, church leaders have to have control over their appetites. Church leaders have to have control over their appetites. The Holy Spirit says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, it says, Therefore, an overseer or an elder must be above reproach. Now, let me just stop there. That's a blanket term. That's an umbrella uh, function to say what, from whatever else comes out of this, his life must be one where, where they, he is blameless. There, there can be no charge that would be brought against him that sticks. It doesn't mean he has to be perfect, but his life is lived with such integrity and such moral dignity and character that there's not a fatal flaw in his character. He's beyond accusation. He's blameless. He's pure in his lifestyle, his reputation, and his character in the way he leads. More specifically, Paul dives in and he says, let's talk about what this being above reproach really looks like. And he he gives this qualification that elders and then later deacons and deaconesses are to have that of control. They would have control over their appetites and their desires. So he says an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now, Now I hope that you see here just in the reading of this that there is this idea of control or command, not so much of control or command of the circumstances of their life or the external things or people in their life, but a command over one's own life and conduct. A leader must be able to control, a qualified leader must be able to control and lead himself. He must have command over his own lusts, his own desires, his own passions, and his control must be exhibited in all areas of his life. Paul speaks, first of all, about uh, his physical passions, and and particularly in marriage, the elder should be the husband of one wife. Literally, in the original language, if you just want to get real real strict and wooden, it's a one-woman man, is is the Greek phrase there or that he should be faithful to his wife. Unlike the cultural expectations in Paul's day, where men were liberated to fulfill their sexual passions and desires with, with temple prostitutes and these worship banquets that were just full of debauchery, Christian men, specifically Christian leaders, are to be sexually faithful and exclusive to their wife alone. The elder is to have eyes only for his wife not to be flirting around with other women, not to be viewing pornography, not to be in and having emotional or physically adulterous relationships. He has to have a grasp and control and focus on his marriage to love and serve and to be faithful to his wife. Furthermore, Paul says he is to be sober-minded and self-controlled. Sober-minded is the idea of not being given to excess or flippant living. He's not just off running and doing whatever he wants, whatever he wants, with whatever he has or whatever he doesn't have, just just out there. He is to be sober-minded, focused, clear thinking, living with discipline, living with trajectory, living with aim. Not only that, self-control is given here. Self-control is the virtue of moral command of one's life. It's wisdom, temperance, discipline not given to excess. He's to be respectable, to have a life worthy of imitating. And one that sets the bar and the example for the rest of of the church He's to be a man of dignity. So as, as Paul was able to say in the Scriptures, follow me as I follow Christ, so an elder, a pastor should be able to say to the congregation, follow me as I follow Christ. His life should be a model of that, a respectable model. Verse 3, Paul says he's not to be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So the areas of what he consumes, and specifically here Paul speaks about alcoholic drink. The elder is not to be given too much wine. He's not to be excessive in his drink. He's not to be a drunk. He should not be dominated and ruled and controlled and addicted to alcohol or to substances. Now, Paul here is not saying that an elder or pastor can't drink. He tells Timothy a little bit later, drink some wine for your stomach. That's fine. But he's saying that the elder, the leader, should be one who leads and takes in those things with control, with temperance and moderation. Furthermore, in relationship to others, verse 3 says, he's not to be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He's a man of controlled passions. He's not a violent fighter, but he's a gentle leader. He's not a troublemaker. One who's just short fused, flipping off the handle, angry all the time, stirring up de- dissension and controversy. He's a gentleman, a leader, self controlled. He says in verse 3 furthermore, he's not to be a lover of money. In his heart and in his affections, he hasn't given himself over to the acquisition and the uh, distribution and the possession and the manipulation that centers around wealth and having more and more and more. You can't serve God and money, and the elder knows that, and so his heart is only bent towards the Lord. He's not a lover of money. He's to have a life of control over his appetites. Now, this is the same as well. I'm speaking here to the deacon. Paul is speaking here to the elders, I'm sorry. But he also speaks this way about deacons and their lifestyles as well, deaconesses. In verse 11, he says that they are to be faithful in their marriages. So the women, likewise, verse 11, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, including their marriages, if they are married. Deacons, each should be the husband of one wife. There again, faithfulness in their marriage relationships. Furthermore, in verse eight, he says that deacons and deaconesses are to be dignified. They are to be dignified, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, not double tongued. They are to have control over their life as well. Verse eleven, they are to be sober minded. It's the same word he uses in uh, verse three to speak about, or I'm sorry, verse two to speak about elders. Not greedy for dishonest gain. This kind of above-reproach self-control is necessary for the leadership of the church. It's not an optional add-on. Gifting should not and cannot ever go before or above character. A leader has to be controlled in their appetites. That's number one. Number two, church leaders have to have grace in their relationships. They should exhibit and display grace in all of their relationships, now, as Paul speaks more, he talks not just on a, a practical level about how, a person, how an elder or deacon or deaconess should live, but the way in which they relate with other people. So he says that an overseer must be above reproach and they should be hospitable, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. The word hospitable there is to mean that they are to be a lover of strangers. That is the life of a pastor or an elder should be open to all people, not just their own demographic, their own subgroup, their own little clique their own singular expression of life. But an elder's life should be open to everybody because the gospel is open to everybody. The gospel is open to all people, regardless of race or gender or education or economic barrier. And so the life of an elder or pastor should be as well open. Lover of strangers, caring and serving them. Furthermore, in verse 3, we see that this, this, this disposition that is distinct from the prevailing notions of leadership and power, is that the leader should not be a fighter, grasping, violent, or quarrelsome man. An elder in the church is called to be gentle. Even when people disagree with him, even when he disagrees with his church, he's to be gentle and lead that way. The leader should be a humble, an elder should be a humble, Christ-like, gentle, meek leader like Jesus was. Loving and serving the church as Christ. Loved and served the church. This relationship is exhibited of this relationship of grace. It's also in relationship to non-Christians. Go with me to verse seven. The elder must be well thought of by outsiders, so that they may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Being well thought of is a sense that one, unbelievers know him. He's in relationship with the lost in his community. And, so, and secondly, that his reputation is upstanding so that the message of the gospel is in correspondence with his conduct. If a, if a pastor lives one way in the world and a different way in the church, or if he lives in a way in the church and in the world that is out of sync with the gospel, he's a hypocrite. And the reputation of the gospel and of Christ is, is hindered. This is where I think so many in the world have such a hard time with Christianity and the church as of late. They see pastors and elders that are abusive, that aren't self controlled, that aren't gracious. They've tarnished the reputation of Christ, and so everybody says, I'm out, and they bail. These leaders are disqualified, by the way. Scripture says that they are disqualified from serving in the office. They should step down, they should be removed. Now, Paul also speaks about this in regard to deacons and deaconesses, and the standard is the same. They're to be people of grace. He, he references this when how the deacons and deaconesses use their words. They, they lead through uh, speaking and teaching and directing, and so they are not to be slanderers, verse 11. Deaconesses, don't be, they must be dignified, not slanderers. That is, not saying lies about people in the church, not, not speaking deceit, not gossiping. The... the the deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not saying one thing over here and doing another thing over there, but being in sync with the word and with truth. They should be gracious in all ways. The elders and the deacons and deaconesses of a church, they exhibit a care for and stewardship of God's grace and mercy, and their lives must match that stewardship. So if the gospel goes to everyone, so the leader's life must be open to everyone. If the gospel is good news of the mercy and grace and compassion of God in Jesus Christ, so the leader's life is to exhibit and embody that mercy and compassion and gentleness and grace in Christ to all people. If the gospel is good news of the truth, then the leader's speech must always be speaking the truth in Christ. And they must live the truth in grace and mercy. Do you want to know what a church believes about the gospel? Look at their leaders. Look at the lives and character of their leaders. That will tell you everything you need to know about what that church believes with regard to the gospel. If The leaders' lives are filled with grace, gospel centrality. They're living that out. You can be sure that church is standing strong on the gospel. If the leaders' lives are corrupt, full of power-grabbing, hunger, out of sync with the gospel, the church is out of sync with the gospel. So leaders must have control of their appetites, gracious in their relationships. Thirdly, church leaders must have leadership in their homes. They have to lead their homes well. Now, Paul here in verses 4 and 5 is speaking of the life of an elder. He makes a great case, and it's really a simple logic behind it. If a man cannot lead his home well, if he can't serve his family well, if he can't manage his household well, which is smaller than the church body as a whole, There's no way in the world that he can lead or serve or manage the larger church body as well. This is a degree of competence, and there's correspondence with that as well. So Paul says he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? The word here, manage, is the idea of leading or stewarding or giving oversight. Same word as overseer, giving oversight to the house. And Paul says he must do this with Uh, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Now, Paul's not there picturing a perfect house where the kids are the Von Trapp family and there's always happiness and singing and mirth and there's never a thing out of order. There's no dirty laundry and everything is in its right place and just perfect. Perfection isn't the point here, but the reputation is. And when he says that he should keep his children submissive, he's not saying a domineering leader who's beating down his children. He's, he's saying one who disciples his children well, who teaches them the truth. He's respectable himself, and so his children follow the res- and respect their dad. There's a, a well-ordered home here. He must manage, speaks to competency and leadership and skill in organizing, and discipling his family. So a household with children out of control that are never disciplined or discipled and furthermore become disrespectful and disparaging publicly of the gospel, it's not consistent with the character and skill required to be a faithful leader. Paul even makes the argument, if he can't lead his house well, how can he lead the church? That's because the family is the first church of the pastor or the elder. So he has to lead it well. This bleeds over into deacons, the household of deacons and deaconesses as well. Verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. So again, fidelity in marriage is required, and order and good management of the house is expected. The household and the leadership within the household either displays or denies the gospel. Again, perfection isn't the requirement here but a family and a household that is led well, that is cared for well, that points to the order and the rightness of the gospel itself. Okay, number four here. We have leaders are to be controlling of their appetites. Leaders are to be full of grace. Leaders are to manage their household well. Fourthly, leaders are to have maturity in the faith. This is what it looks like to be above reproach. They are to be an example for the congregation in their maturity in the faith. So Paul says in verse 6, he, the elder, must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So an elder isn't to be a new believer, someone who recently just came to the faith. Now, Scripture's logic for this is a means of preserving the new believer and helping them along, protecting that new believer. What can happen when you get into a leadership position as a new person or a young person? Just, Just think a thought experiment with me here about what would go on in your head. So you become a Christian. It's like day 10. And you're like, hey, you should be an elder in the church. Whoa. Like, I'm just new here. But then, no, no, no. We're going to install you. You should be an elder here. What begins to happen in your mind and in your heart? Well, you start believing you're a big deal. They must see something in me that's like really exceptional. Like I've advanced farther and faster in spirituality than anybody else. I'm like super Christian. And you can start to listen to those words and and begin to think that you're a spiritual prodigy or a wonderkind of of faith that has exceptional gifting and spiritual skill. And and those things begin to go to your heart. The word for that that Paul uses here is a strong, strong word. It's it's the word conceit. He may be puffed up with conceit. This word here in the Greek means to be so arrogant as to be practically demented or to be insanely arrogant, as one lexicon puts it. That's what happened with the devil, right? He just thought he was bigger and better than everybody else, including God, and he tried to take God's place, and judgment stands upon him. So Paul's saying this is trying to protect the new and young believers in the church. This isn't for you yet. You need a season of testing and maturity. You need a life of discipleship so that you don't fall under judgment and pride. An elder should be one who has been tested, who's who's seen a long obedience in the same direction towards the Lord. The character of an elder is a character of humility, not of pride. The elder has to recognize he's a sinner saved by grace alone. I have to recognize my own sin and repent of it. I need to have a humble heart that seeks not to make a name for myself in leading the church, but seeks to make a name for Jesus and for His glory. The pastor, or the elder, myself, Casey, our leaders of the church, we have to embody and pursue John the Baptist's motto. That motto is this, He, Jesus, must increase. I, Jeremy Ripel, I must decrease. An elder should be one who is mature in the faith, who is wise. Furthermore, being a leader means that there's been testing. There are proven leaders. Paul speaks this out in regard to deacons and deaconesses in verses 9 and 10. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Like, hey, there's a track record of faithfulness. They know what they're doing. They're competent in this. We can can affirm what they're already doing because we've seen it lived out in their lives. There's maturity in faith, maturity in applying wisdom, and that takes time. Discipleship isn't a a drive-through microwave process. Spiritual leadership isn't either. Just because you get a degree or someone ordained you online doesn't make you faithful to be a spiritual leader. You must be tested, and then you can serve in that office. Reliability, maturity shows. So those are the four characteristics for leaders. Control their appetites, gracious towards people as the gospel is gracious, that they are to manage their households well, and they are to be be mature and tested, humble leaders. So let me ask a question here for us now. Let me just take a moment and say, what does this mean for us? I, I do want you to apply this passage. When we hear about the high, quality, high character that's required and expected, how does that speak to our lives today? Let me suggest three applications of this. First of all, congregation, as I preach this to me and as I am sobered by the high standard that is set for a pastor and an elder here, I want to encourage you to hold these standards to the leadership. Hold these standards. Require them of us. Don't let us shortcut out on these standards because if we do shortcut out, the church will be hindered. The gospel will be hindered. So affirm these things. Say, yes, our pastors, our elders, our deacons, our deaconesses, our ministry leaders, their lives should look like this. Hold us to this. You should expect these characteristics in us as leaders. But secondly, pursue these things. Now, I tricked you. Because I told you this sermon wasn't for you. I got gotcha. you. It is for you. Think about this for just a moment. Here's the second thing. Pursue these standards, right? Are any of these standards, like, not for the normal Christian? I mean, are, are any of these things here something you, should, you can say, well, I can opt out of that. That's, that's not for me. Okay, maybe the ability to teach one. You can, you can withdraw that one if you don't feel a calling or gifting to teach or the skill to that. But are any of these character standards ones that that you don't need to possess or to pursue yourself? Absolutely not. These these things are for every Christian, that we should all be growing in being above reproach, that we should all be pursuing faithfulness to our spouses, that we should all be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not drunkards, not violent but gentle. We should all be people that manage our households well. We should all be people that are pursuing maturity in Christ, not conceited and full of pride. We should all be people that are thought well of by outsiders. We should all be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. There is no opt-out for the Christian in these things. In fact, if I could say it positively in this way, if there ever was a leadership crisis in our church, that we we just needed leaders, by the character and conduct of every Christian in the church, we should be able to tap them in and say, hey, I need you to lead, and because your character is such, you you should be ready. You should be pursuing and growing in that. Ready to be called on if God calls you to lead as an overseer or a deacon or a deaconess or a ministry team. These are things that we should all pursue together. So pursue these characteristics. Grow in them. Make your life one that is reflecting one of being a leader in the church. And then lastly, pray for and follow the leaders of the church. Pray for us. This is a high bar. It's a high standard. It, it causes me to tremble in my own life, and it should. So pray for us that we, that we follow and walk with Christ according to these things. Pray for us as we lead the church. Pray for Casey. Pray for myself. Pray for our deacons. Pray for our staff. Submit to our leadership. Support us as we labor for your joy and for your growth in Christ. Follow Christ as we follow Him. If we call on you to serve, serve, step up, but be a part of following the leaders of the church because we are seeking to follow Christ in all things. Now here's the point, if the church has godly qualified leaders, then it will adorn and display the gospel well in the world. And yet if the church gives up on the character standards of leaders in the church, it will tarnish and deny the gospel by its leaders. Leadership matters and character matters. So let's make it count. Let's display the reality of a holy God and a great gospel to the world by our leadership and by the way that we live our lives. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.